Welcome, everyone, to the very latest Bolt from the Blue uh, podcast. And uh, the dust has well and truly settled now on uh, the game that we're going to focus on, Liverpool 2, Manchester City 2. Uh, we'll talk about a few other issues as well. But before we get into all of that, let's introduce the team. We've got everyone on board uh, that you would hope for. And we're going to start off with um, Colin Savage. Colin, how are you? And uh, welcome. Oh, uh, yeah, great to see to be here again, of course. I'm fine. Uh, after explaining before we started recording, after a bit of a hectic weekend. Um, but um, can I can I just, um, a bit of sad news, uh, City-related news in the last few days. Um, some of the older generation may uh, remember some of the fanzines, particularly City Till I Cry. Uh, and the editor of that, uh, sadly, Tom Ritchie, sadly died a couple of days ago. Tom is a great guy, a friend of mine, uh, devoted father, grandfather, husband, uh, an all-round great guy. And um, he'd been ill for a little while, so uh, very sad news to hear that. Yeah, was he not the editor of one of the very first uh, City fanzines? One of them, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there's so Noel Bailey and uh, Dave Wallace were all part of the, well, others were all part of the fanzine. Yeah. Uh, well, I... Obviously, King Kepax is still going. Yeah, yeah, that is sad. That, that is sad. And so, um, thoughts and prayers with his uh, family and friends uh, at this time. Um, let's move on to the next on our list, and that is uh, Ray. Ray is uh, uh, in bed, I believe, at the moment. Um, uh, <laughs> I guess. <laughs> it's 20 past five in the morning here in South Korea, but um, what time is it with you, uh, Ray, in Paris? It's 20 past 10. I've been up since six o'clock. It's been my work, uh, Lord, this week. Uh, we've been in re- rehearsals uh, for our uh, tour of Germany next week. So we've had uh, three three days of rehearsals and we did a couple of shows uh, uh, today. Um, we had a bit of a residence at a college um, where they have a really nice stage that we could practice and rehearse for our uh, shows next week. We start a week on uh saturday our first uh shows we i think we have something like it's either going to be 27 or 36 shows uh, depending on covid restrictions so if they're restricted in the um theater um then we'll do extra shows to help them make a bit more brass um uh, yeah but just in case anyone uh, doesn't uh, already realize ray and think that maybe you're in a rock band or you're an app <laughs> or, or something um just uh, what kind of shows do you do I'm a soap bubble artist, so um, I work, I'll be working at a science centre, a theatre at a science centre in Germany, in Wolfsburg, and uh, so we do a, a show in German, um, uh, where it's it's a mix of um, some of the most technical aspects of uh, soap bubble art, um, so we're making sculptures out of soap bubbles, it, it sounds far-fetched, but it, it's true, we do exploding bubbles, we use helium, we use steam, uh, all sorts of uh, different tricks and shapes, and uh, um, so yeah, that, that's what what I do. And you know, people might see if you're in the UK, especially in the Northwest, you might see me at some festivals making giant bubbles outdoors uh, throughout the year, and hopefully some uh, Christmas markets um, in December. Fantastic! And we also have uh, the third member of this triumvirate. We have uh, Bernard Denine. And you'll know Bernard because he is a uh, well-known YouTuber and does uh, uh, videos and vlogs about uh, TV and film. 
and also, of course, one of his other passions, which is Manchester City. Uh, how are you doing, Bernard? I'm great, mate. Yeah, I'd just like to add my condolences to, of course, the family and friends of Tom Rich as well. Very, very sad. Uh, yeah, it's. I'm just relaxed. I'm just relaxing a little bit, if you can say that from a football point of view. Obviously, uh, with the international break, it gives us time to just recharge a little, doesn't it? It gives me time to have a look at more of City's proud history and get more of it out there for a lot of people who don't realise we've got one. So I just enjoy these little international breaks because it gives me a little chance to to have a go at that as well. Uh, guys, uh, we're going to get into talking about this uh, uh, game now and. Uh, uh, I suppose uh, a logical way to start off would be to uh, look at the lineups. Let's just go through them very, very quickly. The opposition, Alison uh, Milner, uh, he'll feature a little bit in this particular pod. Uh, Matty <laughs> uh, Van Dyke, um, who probably uh, is uh, has struck Bernardo Silva off his uh, Christmas uh, card list after what what happened to him. Uh, Robertson, Fabinho, Henderson. Uh, Curtis Jones, Salah, Jota, and Mane—they—they they were the ones who started. But we're more interested in the City lineup: um, Ederson, Walker, Diaz, Laporte, Cancelo, Rodri, Bernardo Silva, KDB, uh, Gabriel Jesus, Philip Foden, and Jack Grealish. Um, Colin, was there any, uh, e- even the slightest question mark in your mind about that lineup? Um, not, not really, but. Um, the only real question mark was, um, well, obviously Foden played on the left, which is where Grealish normally plays. Uh, so, so, and um, Ferran Torres was on the bench. So that that's the only, you know, in terms of eleven, that that's okay. But perhaps, uh, and perhaps haven't seen the way the game panned out. Torres might have been a better option, but it's easy. It's easy with hindsight, isn't it? Yeah, this is the same Mr. Torres who's struck twice for uh, Spain in in the in the European uh, game against uh, Italy um, uh, before going off on the 49th minute with a, an injury, but apparently not that serious, guys. We can reassure you. Reports are coming in that Torres is fully in, in, ten, in intentional on playing in the final, so it can't be that bad. Um, so, uh, Ray, what about you? Um, any? Questions. I know Captain Hindsight is a wonderful uh, guy, but um, uh, any question marks about that lineup for you? Um, I think it, it, it's a, it was a very very good lineup. Um, I think one of the problems Pep's got is bought Grealish, and he, <laughs> it's cost a lot of money. Um, I can't remember how much. The, uh, it's a shame mm-hmm. that the commentators don't remind us uh, often enough, so I can <laughs> remember how much Grealish cost. Um, <laughs> But the thing, the thing is, there's a Pep's got a problem now because you've spent all that money on Jack Grealish, and Phil Foden is probably right now, along with Bernardo Silva, the best performing player in the city side, I think. Mm. Uh, and Foden's only played about three games this season uh, due to injury. And how do you squeeze them both in? I know Pep doesn't want Foden to play as an attacking midfielder yet. I think he said he sees that as his longer-term position. So he's got to play up, up front somewhere. So how do you squeeze two left-sided players in into that side? And I think trying to squeeze them in, he's trying to look for a solution with them. And I'm not sure it's going to work. I mean, but can, can Pep really say, right, actually, I've got to play Phil Foden on the left because he's just so brilliant. Jack, 
I know you cost 100 million, but you, we're going to put you on the bench. It, it, it just seems crazy. Um, like the guy said, uh, uh, you know, Torres down the middle, I think that's a, an option. He's doing it for Spain. He's done it for, at times for City. And you feel, does he need a longer run to bed yeah. himself into that position? And could he be the future? If he keeps getting fits and starts and every time he has a, a poor couple of games, he's dropped, he's never going to get to where he potentially could be. And that would be a shame because what he's doing for Spain is incredible right now. Let's um, go to our very own uh, Bernardo, uh, Bernard <laughs> Denis. Uh, Bernard, um, what did you think? Any thoughts on the lineup uh, at all? No, I think most, if you'd ask most City fans, I did see a couple of slight differences to that 11, but uh, at least nine out of ten, I would imagine, even perhaps more, a higher percentage would have would have started with that team, which was quite interesting when you think it was the same team that started against Chelsea. And obviously, we're not you know, totally different eons apart, aren't they, Liverpool and Chelsea with the style of play. So it was interesting to see how uh, Pep would play, and he did have to tweak it a little bit, didn't he? But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, Ray was just saying about Phil Foden, and then absolutely spot on. I mean, Foden and Bernardo are in a league of their own at the moment. And we seem to be playing three forwards at the moment, or so-called forwards, either like a front three. And there's always seems to be one struggling a little bit every time, every, every sort of game we play. And as I say, I think Ray's totally right. We've got to give Torres a run. If we don't, if we don't give him a run, he's never ever, ever going to do it. We keep dropping him after a couple of games. But uh, I don't think there's anything wrong with that lineup. It was a tactics, wasn't it? It was a strategy Pep was going to employ. It was going to be uh, the big thing on the day, whether, whether it be successful or not. Colin Savage, when you saw James Milner and Joel Matip on the left side of Liverpool's uh, lineup in defence, were you kind of licking your lips at that prospect? Milner obviously getting on well in age, and, and Matip is uh, uh, unconvincing, um, to say the least, at times. What did you think? Yeah, no. Um, my, my thought was um, you know, Foden, Grealish, Bernardo against them should be a no contest, and it was. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, Ray, was that the most dominant that you've seen Manchester City in the first half against Liverpool in your time uh, watching? Um, wow. Um, just trying to think back. I mean, you know, the, when we beat we beat them 5-0 a few seasons back. <laughs> um, but obviously, they had Mane sent off. They had a, a couple of, uh, of half chances. But, you know, it, 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 it's been a great week, actually. It has it had been a great week. The way we played at Chelsea, the way even though we'd lost at PSG, I thought we played really well. And we did it again against Liverpool. And anybody that thinks City on their day are not the best team in the league is extremely biased because we we, we very, very clearly are. Um so it was it was a wonderful first half. It was a wonderful game, um, you know, overall. Um and, and I think not just the first half, but Throughout the game, City were the best side. Yeah, it was interesting, uh, Bernard, um, uh, because uh, I've, I've listened to all of the City pods and a few of the Liverpool ones, and uh, even the, the most rabid uh, Liverpool uh, crowd, especially those guys on the Anfield rap, could not deny the fact that they got an absolute shellacking by City in, the, in that first half, uh, to the point where you had uh, Jurgen Klopp yelling, be brave, be brave, be brave, and then... After that first half was over, literally running down the tunnel to try to to put a patch on this. What did you think of it? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought the clever thing with this was the well, it's not clever. It's it's what everyone should do. The fact we turned them round at the start of the game, we made them kick. 
the, the opposing way to what they normally kick. I think that's a very big psychological thing. And I mean, even at an amateur level, you do have a preference to which way you play. And we know City do. We like to kick towards a family stand in the second half, don't we? And obviously Liverpool, for some, you know, for some reason, like to kick towards a cock in the second half. And although they did score two the other end in the second, you know, I thought it took the crowd, it sort of kept the quiet crowd a little bit quieter, uh, to be honest with you. They weren't as... Uh, there wasn't the animosity there, I don't think, that we usually get at uh, Anfield uh, when the crowd's in. And obviously, I think the Liverpool players uh, sort of didn't quite like it. I think I think, I think, think Pep played a master stroke by telling Diaz to, you know, win the toss, change ends, like, you know, don't give them the benefit of that. And uh, although we weren't absolutely fantastic, uh, Liverpool really, you know, you, you're, hard, you're hard pressed to remember when they, they sort of worried our back line, to be honest with you. We did such a, a good job. We should have been at least... Uh, one or two ahead by half time if, if everything had worked out uh, properly. Mm-hmm. Uh, Ray, uh, the received wisdom is that what you've got to do in these high profile games against Liverpool is weather the storm. I'm using scare quotes for, uh, for this, but <laughs> weather the storm for the first um, uh, 15 minutes and, and then you've got a chance. Um, the storm didn't really come, did it? Well, it's actually, it, it, is it fair to say that it was Liverpool that had to weather the city storm? Um, more than the other way around, and 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 to be honest, one it's a thing that we we've, we've been saying uh, for a few years. Well, I certainly have. Is we don't take our chances. We're not clinical enough, you know. And and we we had plenty of chances in that. I think in that first half um, um, to take the lead, and I think I think we should have. And and I'm sure you know we'll, we'll go through two or three important uh, moments in that first half. But I don't think there's a lot of a storm to weather. You know, Liverpool put some effort in at the start. But, you know, City, I think, were, as I said earlier, we're far the better side. Mm-hmm. Um, Colin, talk us through um, one or two of these uh, chances. Uh, were they uh, golden chances? Were they half chances? Um, on which occasions, uh, in your view, uh, should, should City have made more of it? Um, there are a few that come to mind. The ones that come to mind off the top of my head was where um, Foden was through, um, took a touch, and Alison uh, smothered the second touch. Got gave him Alison time to come out and smother the second touch. I'm not sure was he offside. Was he flagged offside at that point? No, I think he was all right for that. One. No, he's okay. No, he was, yeah, but again, took a touch. Our all disease took a touch. Probably too many. Um, when there's no shortage of confidence. There was an, an, uh, another obvious one where uh, Kevin De Bruyne had a header, which he managed to uh, kind of get under a little bit. Spoon it it over had the, the same places as uh, Mara's penalty from a few years back, that header, didn't it? Yeah, I think they must have passed each other in orbit. Uh, it wasn't <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think Kev's header was quite that bad, but yeah, it, it was kind of an awkward height. You expect a bit better from him, though, don't you? And, uh, he's known for his header. He's not... Someone who was noticed for his heading ability, particularly, and then of course the, the biggest opportunity we had wasn't even um, uh, obviously Foden was through and, and taken down by Milner, and yep. uh, I'm sure we'll talk about that. You want to talk about that separately, of course. Yeah, yeah. But um, um, Ray, just before uh, talking about that, I, I just like to go back to the first chance that uh, Colin mentioned, and uh, all. M- even more interesting than the smothered shot was what happened before that. And I was just exhilarated by this. And uh, yeah. some, some people on Twitter have, a, have have nicely framed the video where you see Bernardo Silva 
going absolutely through twisting and turning through the whole yes. Liverpool midfield, where to the extent where he actually put Virgil Van Dijk on his backside. Well, I technically, he didn't go on his backside. I, I was watching to see if, if he'd gone on his backside. <laughs> I'd, have had, I'd have had a gif of that uh, as, 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 uh, on all my social media. But I think I think he he went down, but he, he didn't actually. His backside didn't touch. Well, he did. He did yeah. make him look like a bit of a fool, though. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. But Bernardo actually was like his namesake, David. There was a game a few years ago where David Silva was just dancing around players and spinning around going one way and then the other. I can't remember if it was against Wigan or somebody. Um, and Bernardo Silva must have, you know, he was twisting this way and that way. Um, and, you know, he he he, he got through, uh, must have had four players. Um, and he, he gave that ball to Foden. And, and the thing is, it's, it's easy to say in hindsight what Foden should have done. I don't think his first touch was that bad. I don't think it was that bad. I think it, he, it, the idea was to steady himself. And when we talk about his, his wonderful goal in the second half, to hit it like he hit his, the, the goal he scored. Um, but as Colin said, it gave Alisson just that fraction of a second to come out, narrow the angle and then smother the shot that eventually came. And it wasn't, I don't think it was a heavy touch. I just think it it just went, you know, uh, against Folden in that moment. People said he should have hit it first time. Look, let's be honest, if he'd controlled that and Alisson had not come out as quickly and Folden had leathered it past him, we'd have been talking about a wonderful goal created by Bernardo and slammed home by Folden. So it's, 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 you know, fine margins, you know. I still think, I I, I can't criticise him for taking the touch and it wasn't a really heavy touch. It was... Maybe he needed a, you know, uh, the only thing he needs from Maras is Maras's control. <laughs> uh, he would, he might have stopped it slightly sooner, um, and then slammed it home. But you know, it was, it was fantastic from Bernardo, and I can't really fault Foden for for not scoring. Yeah, uh, Bernard. So um, according to the, the Guardian, sums it up this way: Bernardo Silva leads Liverpool a merry dance, beating Robertson twice, Henderson, Fabinho. And Van Dijk in a remarkable piece of escapology before sliding the pass through to Foden. Do you think that if he had struck it first time, it would have make would have made a difference? I think it's fine margins with that one. I think it was a perfect ball through to him. It's at the right pace and everything. A fantastic ball from Bernardo, all bubble gummer. Bubble gummer. He had. Um, he had no more nails as well. I keep saying a lot of the things stuck to his boots as well with that with that little shimmy he did. But uh, I think it was perfect for Foden, and it was it is by margins. Foden, I think, just slightly, just very slightly, just didn't quite control it. But it was there for a dink, wasn't it? Rather than a blast, I think. And obviously, Phil Foden's capable of that. We know he is. We know he can dink uh, dink the ball over. But perhaps it just didn't quite sit quite right for him to do that. But uh, yeah. Um, he's a midfielder who can score goals. He's not a striker who can score goals. If that had been uh, the other guy up there, we're going to talk about him, obviously, for Liverpool in a little bit. If that had been him, uh, there's a possibility that would have been in the back of the net as a striker. But uh, no, he did OK. He hit the target. That's all I ever ask of my players. And I say, yeah, I did. I think he did slightly miss it. He pushed it just uh, just just six inches. And that's a, that's a makes a big difference, doesn't it? Six inches. He just pushed it that little <laughs> bit too much. And uh, so all the yeah, well, you know, there you go. It's unfortunately Alisson um, had the time to make himself big, and Peter Schmeichel, like from the old days, just just managed to to get a block on it. But I'm not say I'm not going to have too much of a downer on, on Foden, but he, he did deny Bernardo one of the greatest assists ever in football history. I think, unfortunately. 
Mm -hmm. Ray, have you actually, referring to the uh, one of the others that uh, Colin mentioned, have you actually ever seen uh, Kevin De Bruyne score a header? <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, I'm trying to think now. I've, 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 I'm sure he has, um, but he's hardly ever, I've hardly ever seen him have a header, you know. Maybe he's too good to, um, to have headers. I, I don't I don't know if anybody else can um, think of it. Um, Colin, let's move on to the, the, the other one that you mentioned, which uh, I think involved the VAR check. Um, so this is going down, going down in the area, challenge from Milner. And we have a, the, you know, surely it, it's either a free kick or a penalty. It can't be neither. Um but I think that, that that was the conclusion that Paul Tierney came to. Well, you know, yeah, I mean, a lot of the debate was around whether it was inside or outside the area. Uh, and I think um, Tierney just bottled it, deciding it wasn't anything. But the, the crucial question is, obviously, if it's in the area, it's a penalty. If it's outside the area, it's a red card for Milner. Mm. Simple as that. Because it's uh, th there was some someone trying to say that uh, Matty was close enough, but, you know, if, if Miller doesn't make that, Foden's next touch is a shot, mm -hmm. uh, and that's a goal-scoring opportunity. So, um, you know, Tierney couldn't... People said, oh, uh, VAR couldn't interfere because it um, it wasn't a penalty, mm -hmm. which is... Well, VAR's got to look at it to decide whether it is a penalty, and B, it was a potential red card if it's denial of a clear goal-scoring opportunity, which I believe it was. Which it was so, yeah. yeah, so... Um, you know, how many decisions have we seen at Liverpool over the years that defy logic or, you know, defy the laws of the game? You know, um, we, we saw it, didn't we, when the, we saw it in the Champions League, we, um, which, all right, VAR wasn't um, used in that game, but there were probably three goals difference. We should have had one. They probably should have had a couple disallowed. We've seen handballs not given, um, although we did see Micah Richards penalised for a handball in the League Cup semi-final when it clearly came off his knee. Uh, we were behind, <laughs> Bernard, you were there. Uh, you yeah, could clearly yeah. see from behind the Anfield Road end that it come off his knee onto his hand. And um, Phil Dow was the, and, and Micah was kneeling down at the time. Ball hit his knee up to his hand, which is chest high. And Phil Dow had actually indicated Micah's hand had been above his head. <laughs> you know, he wasn't stand, the guy wasn't even standing up. Um, you know, and so many that that um, that that game when um, VAR wasn't working, or, although we were told it was, it clearly wasn't, and everyone knew it was. Everyone knew it wasn't. There was the um, it, the four three game, wasn't there? Where I think we were yeah. denied a penalty on Edin Dzeko, clear penalty. You know, so many decisions have gone against us there over the years. Um, uh, and all right, you know, you, you win some, you lose some, but you know, it's too much of a coincidence. And and that was clear. Um, and I think back, the, the decision I think back to was the, in the first title winning season um, at Chelsea, we were unbeaten, weren't we, up to that game? Um, we scored a goal early on and David Silver was clearly tripped, clearly tripped by a Chelsea player and uh, Clattenburg way play on. Uh, you know, and that was, it. perhaps there was, perhaps that, the, the Milner one ha had a little bit more, but Milner definitely clipped him. Uh, you know, and as the commentators say, we've seen those given, and we've seen them given for Mo Salah. 
Uh, and perhaps Foden was a bit naive. Perhaps he should have flung himself to the turf as though, you know, three snipers had shot him. Yeah, he should have been Kinsman. And in fact, even if it had been a penalty, the, the, the law on red cards is there has to have been a genuine attempt to play the ball. And Milner had not made a genuine attempt to play the ball. So whether it's inside or outside the area, I think that's a red card. Do you yeah. think the rest are cheating? Oof. Or are they just soft and uh, susceptible to the time field? Yeah, I think it's just the, the effect of the Anfield crowd, although it's quite ironic because they'd been silenced um, at that point, uh, Ray, because they were taking an awful battering um, yeah. at this point and, uh, and Milner couldn't couldn't restrain himself. He got his um, his first um, card or finally in the, in the 42nd minute because he could do nothing with Foden. It was, it was really, really embarrassing for him, wasn't it? Well, I mean, Foden is a cracking player. He'll do that to better defenders than um, um, you know than uh, Milner. So, um, and, and Milner, you know, he's a good servant, but he's thirty-five now. You know, he, he might look after his body and everything else, but um, you know, age catches up with you. And there's no way he's he can deal with people like Ford and or Grealish uh, anymore. Really, he 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 does an honest job. And and you know Liverpool needed someone to do an honest job, but he's 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 past it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bernard, at this point, were you kind of thinking, as the first half is uh, you know in the final uh, stages, this is a classic. This is going to be another classic uh, City performance where they they dominate, uh, they can't score, and then they get mugged late on or in the second half. Has to be, doesn't it? I mean, we're all thinking at half time that we know Liverpool can't be that bad again. As you said, Klopp sprinted to that dressing room. As I say, I wasn't sure if he needed the toilet or he needed to get that tactic board out. I wasn't too sure at the time, but you just knew it wasn't going to be the same Liverpool. <laughs> you just knew it wasn't going to be the same Liverpool the second half. And you think we're going to rue rue the, the chances. And obviously, we're going to talk about the second half. But uh, yeah, I mean, the second half sort of a bit bit eildy piggledy when it started. They didn't exactly come at us again. But for some reason, City weren't quite at it either. But uh, yeah, I think most City fans were thinking, you know, this, this, what have we done here? But, you know, obviously, as you say, when a team plays that badly, Liverpool are far better than what they show on, on that first 45 minutes. So we knew there was going to be some sort of uh, comeback. And uh, obviously we held our breath to see what was going to happen. Um, Colin, what did you think about about this? Um, we've seen this before, but it's wor- worthy of, of talking about. Uh, just a, a minute before the uh, the whistle, there's an outrageous 70-yard pass from Ederson uh, to put Foden through on goal. And uh, that, you know, people thought that that's where the, goal, the first goal was going to come from. Obviously, uh, he was off off balance, tried to go around the keeper, and he he got uh, the keeper got a leg out. But that was a ridiculous pass, wasn't it? Yeah, but we're used to it, aren't we? I mean, uh, Edison can do that. That's what he brings us. I mean, he has his occasional rush of blood to the head, but we know that's what he can do. And and yeah, I think we we said in the, the Southampton game, they were pressing very high. Why didn't he use that tactic more? But yeah, no point crying over spilt milk. But yeah. It was um, an amazing pass, and he sees these opportunities and can drop the ball on a on a sixpence. It, uh, it was interesting. Um, uh, despite that, um, Ray, would you say that of City's potential goal scorers, that it's actually Foden who's the most clinical of them, or is there an argument for anyone else? 
You're probably right. When I, I think, I think when I think of Sterling these days, and I think Torres is a good finisher. Uh, Ferran Torres, uh, when he gets put through, uh, what I like about him is he he doesn't look just to hit the target. He doesn't look just to hit it as hard as possible. He looks to put it past the keeper, place it past the keeper with enough power. Um, and I've seen a few times people like Mares um, just hitting it as hard as they can. Sterling as well, and it seems some players are just happy to get a shot on target, mm-hmm. which mm-hmm. is in my book isn't good enough. You know, you should be doing what what um, Ferran Torres does and try to beat the keeper to place it past him. Um, the rest of the players, I'm not so sure. I think Foden, I, I, the players that started anyway, Foden is probably well up there uh, as the best one, the most clinical. Mm-hmm. I think Gundogan's obviously not fit, but uh, you know, yeah. uh, so he's pretty clinical, isn't he, usually? Well, let's st- stick with you f- for a minute, Ed Colin. Um, things changed in the second half. What did Liverpool start doing differently? Or um, did City do anything differently? Um, I, I, I confess, I, I kind of missed the second half. Well, I said I missed it. I've seen it since, but uh, I had a family emergency. But it, it, it seemed that they were playing with more energy. They were being more uh, proactive. They were pressing harder. Um, Taking more risks, basically. Sorry? Taking more risks. Yeah, I think they were. I mean, there were two. Liverpool, and I think we've said this before, they like the they quite like the other team to have the ball. They're not a team that thrives on possession particularly. Not um, no. <laughs> and we we sort of gave them half that, but what they're so good at is getting the ball forward quickly to to their front three who are, you know, almost the antithesis of our forwards. And you know, uh, Mo Salah Sadio Mane and, and Jota are all deadly in front of goal. You know, you, you'd put your mortgage on them to score, presented with some of the chances that we had in that first half. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think we just we just pinned them back in that first half. Salah was back was like had to cover Milner, didn't he, or um, whoever, whichever side he was. And basically, they were playing almost uh, a five-man midfield at, at best. So you know, we didn't give them the opportunity. To, to get it forward uh, as quickly as they normally do. They were very ineffective uh, at, at something they're normally so good at. In the second half, they, they kind of rediscovered, remembered what, what they were good at, and they started getting the ball forward a lot quicker and getting the kind of 4-3 forward a lot quicker. And, and that, I think, made the difference, because we know even at our best, it's difficult to play against them. Mm-hmm. And uh, but, that... Yeah, but I say in that first half, and I was laughing, you know, we always say, don't we, Anfield, just get through the first 15, 20 minutes without conceding. We never do. But we did this time. You know, we'd done everything right. We, we'd completely battered Liverpool. They were shell-shocked. They weren't playing the way they could. And they came at, Klopp must have tore into them at half-time because they came out, played the way you expect Liverpool to play. Which led Ray in eventually in the 59th minute to a goal for uh, Sadio Mane from a pass from uh, Salah. Um, what did you think about that? Uh, was was that was that coming? And uh, were your nightmares beginning to come true at this point? Well, well, Liverpool can do that. They, you know they have got quality players, um, and they're relying on a bit of individual brilliance. And you know, right now, Mo Salah is providing a lot of that individual brilliance for, for Liverpool. He, you know, he put the ball um, down the channel for for Salah. Salah ran onto it and he tucked it home. 
Um, you know, it was, it was a, a good pass from uh, Salah to Mane. Mane tucks it home. Um, it was it was a good goal from Liverpool's point of view. Pretty straightforward. Um, and you do worry. You do worry because I, I said it before. I'm, I'm maybe you know I, I I forget the occasion when when this doesn't happen. But when City go behind, you think that's it. You know we're going to run out of ideas. Um, you know I've always said unless we hit back quickly, I don't see City coming back into games. The longer it goes on, the worse we look and the more uh, clueless we appear to be. So um, yeah, you are you you're not. It's natural to be worried because. Liverpool, up to this point, haven't let too many goals in in the league. Would you, uh, Bernard, I know that you don't like to apportion blame, but uh, that sort of um, half-ass challenge by Cancelo on the halfway line that uh, gave rise to that move, would you criticise him for that? Well, I mean, well, Cancelo isn't isn't a tackler, is he? Let's be honest about it. He's a, he's a defender, but he's not a tackler. Obviously, he doesn't, he doesn't. That's not his game, is it? So, yeah, of course, it was a bit half-hearted. As, uh, but he was not alone in that, is he? We don't exactly have a Jerry Gow anymore, do we? In, in the middle of the park, anywhere like that. McFerner's not there. Obviously, we don't have that. And Rodri, for all his all his positives with Rodri, again, he's another one who perhaps uh, isn't. That's not his greatest part of his game. He's, he's quite good at other things, which I'm sure we'll talk about in a bit. But uh, you just need to be a bit harder with Liverpool in that middle of the pitch. We give, we give uh, Sal, Salah's brilliant. He's absolutely terrific. But uh, as I say, they had, that was probably the second chance, I think, in the game. And you give that chance, sort of chance to Mane. Mane has been on pretty good form as well, as well as Salah this season. So uh, I think that was a bit demoralising at the time. But uh, I think uh, we're going to get on to it, aren't we? Uh, I think we've used the word character's been used about a pep team and people saying we never used to have, we, we've not really had much character as a pep team. But I mean, this is a team that's got 100 points and 99 points. So I don't know where they get that from. But uh, yeah, um, we could have done a little bit better, but it was just a well-worked goal. This is what Liverpool are good at. And uh, I must admit, my, my head drops and my heart sort of sunk a little bit when that, uh, when that shot went in. Yeah, uh, Colin, as seven minutes later, Pep decides to take action replaces uh, uh, Grealish with Raheem Sterling. Um, did that put a bit of um, billow in your sails? Do you think that was going to make a make much of a difference? <laughs> um, I, I, you know, I don't want to be rude about Raheem Sterling. Um, we all know about his kind of never seems to do it at um, Anfield, does he really? It, it seems to affect him. But I've got to say, um, despite all the criticism of him, it, it, we did look different. He did. He did present some danger to them. You know his ability to turn and run with the ball. And there was one. Uh, there was one incident really that I think that summed him up, wasn't there? Where he did get the ball uh, late on. He turned, ran, and and the old Raheem Sterling would have had a shot, but he just was hesitant and was looking to lay the ball off. And um, you know, it, it, but he did. He did look more dangerous. Make us look more dangerous. Well, Ray, you mentioned about uh, the fact that uh, you worried for City if they didn't um, reply quickly. It took about 10 minutes, in fact, and uh, this was Phil Foden, and it was really like a Steve Davis snooker shot into the corner pocket, wasn't it? It was the, it's the only tiny little area that he could realistically uh, you know, uh, beat Alisson from. What, what did you think about that? Absolutely, Mike. It was well. You've got to go back a little bit before the shot and, and talk about Gabriel Jesus uh, working on the right. He took at least, I think, a couple of men 
spazzy cut in, um, running into space. Uh, defence has to then decide who to go to mark, and Fordham was left uh, free uh, on the far side of the of the box on on the left hand side, and uh, yeah, he hit it right into that corner. When you talk postage stamps, that's that's what it was, and it, it needed a good um, finish to be Allison, um, who did his best, but it just squeezed past him right into that corner. It was a, it was a fabulously well taken goal from Phil Ford, and that's what you find margins are. Yeah, Bernard, um, I think that um, Foden's uh, first uh, touch uh, took the ball into a bit of a space. And I think a lot of people were thinking, as as good as that was, it, it made the angle impossible to score from. But he, he made that look uh, beautifully straightforward, didn't he? Yeah, I think I think he said in an interview, didn't he? He put, he put his laces through it, which is exactly what he did. But... Uh, yeah, I mean, it was superb from Jesus. I thought it all kudos to him and superb. And Phil, that's what we perhaps wanted in the first half, didn't we, when we had that uh, chance? It was a, not exactly a similar similar position, but it was easy because coming in, a, in a, an angle rather than taking it sort of straight or going and shooting across. I thought uh, Alisson didn't do anything wrong. And uh, as I said, Phil just sort of, uh, I don't think he shut his eyes, but, uh, you know, he's good at that anyway, isn't he? He's good at uh, not looking where he's putting the ball. But, uh, yeah, he, put his, he did put his laces through. It, as he said, and uh, straight as a die, I think, wasn't it? I don't think it deviated at all in flight, just straight into that, uh, into the side netting, about about three inches inside the post or something like that. And you know, oh, you know, I'm not going to slag Allison off. I don't think he had, had, had any chance with that one. A superb finish. And uh, Colin, unfortunately, parity lasted all of seven uh, minutes because uh, then comes the Salah goal. And uh, now this is uh, interesting. So many uh, pundits, journalists and Twitter geniuses uh, have made him man of the match for this. I thought that apart from his two interventions, the, the pass to Mane and, the, and this particular goal that we're going to talk about, apart from that, I didn't find him particularly uh, prominent. But yet this particular goal in the minds of so many people just eclipsed everything that had happened in the first uh, half and and, and and made this the, the only talking point, really. It was a great goal, um, but uh, I don't think that it, it merits him being man of the match. Uh, I, what do you think? Uh, no, I, I think I agree with you. It was absolutely a great goal. Um, it, you know, it was a bit like that King Clatty one against Southampton, wasn't it? Um, but, but, you know, was he man of the match? No, because I mean, none of None of the Liverpool players did anything in the first half. Um, you know, there were better candidates, Bernardo, Rodri, Foden. Um, I, I think for our side, we're better candidates for man of the match. Mm-hmm. It was, a, it was, we have to, we have to admit it, Ray, it was a great goal. Um, and people now talking about Salah in the form that he's in being the best player in the world. Where do you stand on that particular talking point? Ray's rendered speechless by the thoughts, obviously. I was certainly one of the best in the Premier League at the moment, but I've not seen that much of Liverpool to say he's the best player in the world by any means. But uh, hey, listen, uh, if he, I think if he, if he was in our front, you know, we had him in our front line. I know he's under, he's uh, not signed his new contract yet, has he? I'm sure uh, he would thrive under us like he does under Liverpool. But uh, yeah, he's, he, he's, he's a great. I mean, as long as he's not diving, as long as he's not getting shot in the box and diving, I, I can put up with Salah as a player. It's when he starts doing his. Uh, Theatricals, that's what I don't like about any footballer. I don't like any player 
playing for my club that does a similar thing. So, yeah, yes, he probably is, but I, there is a little bit, bit of a proviso to that statement. What followed um, shortly thereafter was uh, quite funny. Um, Pep went into total meltdown, uh, and, he, and he, he stayed he stayed in that fugue state for about the next ten minutes, uh, and, and went so far as to to take off his cardigan uh, just to give himself some more um, some more room to wave his arms around. What occasioned that response? Can you just remind us? Well, yes, it's Mr. Milner again, our old friend, isn't it? I mean, having been um, given a, a yellow card already when he should have had a red. Um, he was very lucky to only be on a yellow for hauling Foden down. Um, I it was Bernardo, wasn't it, who went skipping past Henderson and Milner sort of did that thing where you, you do as a kid, where you turn your back on someone and stick your foot out backwards. And Bernardo went flying. It was a deliberate trip and it was a yellow card. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Milner you know, failed to walk for the second time in, in the game. And I'm not surprised Pep was incandescent because it was just... Yeah, come on, he was cheating. Uh, you know, this, how the referee could not have reacted to that. And he gave the free kick. But how he could have not reacted with a yellow card it, uh, was astonishing. Because, he, you know, Milner had got away with one in the first half. Way, not in, uh, the, the one on Foden, say, well, he should have been sent off anyway. He's already on a yellow card. Foden tearing him a new one. You'd, you'd think Klopp would have taken him off before then. Uh, but I, I say, I, there's no, I'd love a referee, I'd love Tierney to come out and tell us why he didn't issue a yellow card for that challenge. And, and of course, the second yellow and then a red card, um, because there was no excuse for it. And, and Klopp obviously then took Milner off, uh, replaced him with um, Joe Gomez. But uh, it was just, again, you know, another ridiculous decision in the same game and you know, it, it just makes you suspicious, doesn't it? Look, it's it's blatant. It was blatant. Milner stuck his leg out. Um, it 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 was a it was a yellow card. Some people are saying the ref gave it for the Henderson. Was it the Henderson challenge? You know, a little push slightly before that. If Milner wasn't there, ref, referee wasn't going to give that as a free kick. It was you know Milner brought um uh, brought him down. It had to be. It had to be a yellow card. There's no, there's, there's no debate. There's no debate. And and you know when you see decisions like that and the um, the the not getting a red card in the first half, it does make you question what's going on. Is it like I mentioned earlier? Is it cheating, blatant cheating, or do they feel the pressure of being at Anfield, uh, or or possibly are they closet Liverpool fans? It was really astonishing. And it's just something that defies belief. And Bernard, at this particular point, um, pretty much every City fan on Twitter was giving up the ghost um, at this point. But uh, luckily, uh, we're talking about character. Uh, Five minutes their lead lasted for. It was so gratifying, wasn't it? Uh, The goal from uh, Kevin De Bruyne on 81st. Slightly lucky, do you think? Or what, what do you think? Well, I think yeah, I think he placed it to hit Matip, and because uh, he knew Alisson was going to save it, so I think he aimed for Matip's uh, thigh and chest, and he knew where he was going. But no, no, seriously, of course, it was a bit of luck, and as as you say, but uh, when it did fly, you know, I was very surprised until you saw all the slow motion angles and what happened. You just can't 
really understand what had happened. But again, all credit to City, we kept going. Uh, great little ball from Phil across. We got a little deflection, didn't we? It deflected back out again to KDB. But so he put, he put, it wasn't the greatest shot, let's be honest about it. But it was on target. The keeper was going to save it. And thanks to Agent Matip, uh, we got our deserved equaliser. I think anything less than that would have, would have been a travesty, to be honest with you. Uh, it was uh, it was a bit uh, lucky, Colin, but I love the response of Guardiola. I was just thinking to myself, um, I wonder if if we could actually see uh, like a side by side comparison of of Guardiola celebrating that goal and maybe Manuel Pellegrini uh, in the same <laughs> situation. Uh, it would have been very different, wouldn't it? Is he, he the, the anger and the you know the the ecstasy? Um, I, I'm looking at a picture here of. Um, of of uh, Guardiola celebrating that goal, he looks demented. <laughs> well, what, well, you know, well, might he be? You know, I mean, his emotion was already, um, uh, I don't know, uh, high. It wasn't it after the Milner game, <laughs> after the Milner incident, and then um, you know, to, to come back, you know, we've gone behind twice at Anfield, we've come back twice. Um, yeah, of course. I mean, Pep's an emotional guy, isn't it? We said, where's his heart on his sleeve? And, you know, that was fantastic. And Kevin De Bruyne, particularly, who's not having the best season, uh, but certainly by his standards. Um, I, I, certainly, I remember another shot we had in the first half was, was Kev had a good sight of goal and it just trickled off his foot. It was a very poor shot. So, yeah, of course, it's a, you know, it's an emotional game. Pep and Klopp are both emotional managers, aren't they? And they, they react. So good luck to them. Um, Ray, uh, we get um, uh, a free kick um, in the 84th minute. This was a very cynical foul from Fabinho uh, on Bernardo Silva. Um, what committee got together and decided that you should give that to Kyle Walker? <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. What Kyle Walker's doing with free kicks. Uh, uh, that's it. I have no idea. I can't explain that, Michael. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe you can do better with this one. Uh, I knew I knew you mightn't have too much to say about that. But two minutes later, um, it's uh, it's this uh, gravity or physical laws defying block by Rodri. I guess the only thing we've got to be thankful for was that it was Fabinho. Uh, on the end of this, um, talk talk to me a little bit about this one. Well, it, it, here's the funny thing: if you see, a, I saw the, the, there was there was a picture of when f- the ball was coming to Fabinho, a, a still photograph, and it had to be a goal. You know, when you if you look at that picture, you 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 tell yourself there's no way anybody is getting back. I mean, Edison had flapped. I mean, that was pretty poor in the air from him. It landed at Fabinho, and there's no way anybody's getting back to that. Fabinho took that touch. He took that touch, and that gave the time, gave the opportunity for uh, Rodri to to dive back, to run back and dive in and make a block. It it, it was it was death defying brilliance from uh, Rodri. And look, whatever he does this season, you know, I think we're all going to remember that that's um, you know that that block and. I think at that point, we do, if Liverpool had scored, we don't come back. People talk about this wonderful game and Liverpool sorted City out and all that. It, and and they would have, it would have been an, an undeserved victory for Liverpool. So I'm glad Rod, Rodri did that. And it's also good to see in the last few games, I think, 
and a little bit of last season, more and more fans are warming to what Rodri does. And I think he's learning, he's getting better. He's still quite young. and People forget that. He's still, I think, um, uh, quite quite young, for, for especially for his position. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's just, it's just an incredible block. You know who we can really thank for this? I think we have to uh, thank Bernard Deneen, who I think in the last pod or the one before described Rodri as having like the turning circle speed of a large battleship. Uh, Bernard, um, do you eat your words now about Rodri? Absolutely not, because he's drawing in a straight line, so he's all right. No, <laughs> listen. <laughs> hey, this this eighty-six oh four minute body has got to go down in history almost as much as the ninety-three twenty. I've had the decision already for this, but uh, let's be honest about it. That 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 stock. We didn't think it was Rodri. Even the commentator thought it was someone else. No, no one in the in the in watching it thought it was Rodri who got back. Uh, all, all credit to Fabinho. I, th- I don't think he did that much wrong. You know, he had, I think he had to control it before he put it in. It was just the sheer pace. But uh, uh, so I just liken that to the John Stones uh, off the line against Liverpool at the Etihad. I, I liken it to the Kyle Walker clearance under the bar in the Community Shield against Liverpool. I mean, it just has to go down as one of them, doesn't it? And I say, uh, you know me. I I, I think uh, Rodri goes through again in a nice way. Uh, he used to go through a game in a bad way, but I think he's totally changed now. I think I think he's a totally different proposition. And but to see him do that, I mean, that that just to me, I, I thought it was Diaz because that's the sort of thing Diaz would do. But um, I think uh, Edison would have to give him his wages for last week because he certainly saved his blushes because he just came out and punched punched Ruben Diaz out. So that that was his contribution to that. But uh, you know. Yeah, I think I think you at least give him his wages for that week for saving his face. Because, but uh, hey, listen, I've never been Rodgers' biggest fan, but I think I've said this season I've been reasonably impressed. As Ray said, there a few of us are beginning to warm to him a little bit more now, and uh, likewise myself. But I still say he's got the turning circle of the Titanic or a big oil tanker. But uh, he was running in a straight line this time, so he was he was fine. He was okay, and he's got six foot long legs, so that's probably why he managed to get there. Well, breaking news, guys, I can confirm, it has now been confirmed that Rodri did indeed have a a poster of Bernard Deneen's face on his bedroom wall all week coming up to this game. So uh, I think that you can get the credit for that. Colin Savage, there were four minutes uh, given um, of uh, additional time. Did any 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 one of the two teams look like that they were going to snatch it, did you think? I can't remember. Um, I'd say I wasn't... <laughs> I was watching at the time, or if yeah. I was, uh, my, my yeah, 50-month-old yeah, um, granddaughter was giving me the runaround. Uh-huh. So I'll have to pass that question to someone so else. Pass that to Raiden. I'll, I'll, I'll pass it on to Bernard. Bernard remembers. Yeah, 91st minute it was, guys. Yeah, Jesus had a fantastic shot on target. Alisson wasn't going to get to it, and Robertson managed to get his bulk in the way, but uh, it was goal bound. That would have been just as good as Salah's goal. It was a fantastic effort by Jesus, who had a fantastic game, I thought, as well. Under, you know, not many people have talked about Jesus, but uh, yeah, he had the sort of closest chance in the 91st minute, but. Uh, yeah, fantastic shot. Hit it, put, put his laces through it as Phil Foden would have said, but unfortunately, big, big, big Mr. Robertson was there to, to block it, unfortunately. Yeah, um, Colin, one thing that, um, and this is a bit, a bit of a controversial opinion, but you, you see sort of Guardiola and Klopp embracing at the end of the game and then bigging each other up 
Um, it would have been just a, a bit of a refreshing change for one of them to show the two fingers to the other one. And that's <laughs> the way things were in the good old 1970s, you know. Um, you wouldn't have seen Brian Clough do something like that. Um, what did you think? Are, are you a fan of all of this, uh, you know, mutual respect society? You know, it, it, it's funny, isn't it? You know, you watch games and you see, you know, opposing players who kick each other all over the park for 90 minutes and then they're hugging each other at the end and you know they room together on England trips or you know something like that and that that's football isn't it you know you, you put your heart and soul into the game and when the whistle blows you know that's what you you, you want to see a bit of sports machine we, we see enough diving and cheating um you know not singling Bruno Fernandes out particularly here um we see enough of that on the pitch don't we it, it's, it's nice to see a bit of uh res- Two managers show each other the respect both deserve, I think. And, and uh, you know, I, I think City fans do get a bit irritated with Pep sometimes, the way he bigs everyone. You know, he, he'll be telling us how Norwich are a difficult opponent, um, you know, and um, have been unlucky or something so far. But, yeah, I, I think there's a lot of respect and uh, I, I think the two quite like each other. And once the whistle blows, it's all forgotten, isn't it? Your friends again. Um, who is going to be who's going to be happier with that uh, that point, uh, Ray? Liverpool or Chelsea? <laughs> okay, well, yeah. It looks City were the best side. City had the more chances. City had the better chances. Liverpool should have had James Milner sent off twice. Um, you know, City were by far better side. Liverpool will be so so happy to get away with a draw in that game. Mm-hmm. Bernard, I'm going to ask you um, a boring question, um, but um, people talking about it again and again and again and again, we, we might as well give our uh, our few cents on it. Um, would, you, would you move for a striker in January if things were pretty much the same as they are in the league at the moment? There's talk about Vlaovic, uh, the Fiorentina striker being available at, a, at, a, at a, a decent price, you know, the former Partizan Belgrade player, and um, you know, who's been in fine form uh, in, in Italy. Certainly this season, six goals and eight, 21 goals last season in 40, 40 or so performances. Would you be tempted or would you, you, you want to keep faith with someone like Ferran Torres to, to try to make the difference in tight games like this? I think Pep has to sort of give Torres his free reign, and I mean, he's doing it for Spain, isn't it? Let's be honest about it. Just give him a few, just give him a handful of games. We've not, all right, we've got, they're not, they're not easy games by any means. We've got some winnable games coming up. But, you know, give Torres four or five starts on the trot and let's just see what he can do. I mean, I know Delap's been injured, hasn't he? I've always wanted him to be in the squad. I know he's been injured, but obviously they're going to bring him back very slowly now, aren't they? Just, just before Christmas. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, you know, anyone we buy in January is going to be silly money, let's be honest about it, no matter no matter who it is. And I, I don't think the way Pep plays, I think if you do that at the moment, you'll probably disrupt disrupt all the plans for the season. So uh, I think it'd be, be better. Just just give Torres a go. Just give Torres a go, Pep. But I'd say when we do play the like the Grealish, Sterling, and uh, obviously is it this way was up front? Uh, Jesus. I mean, it sort of works, but as I said, I'm all, we're always seem to find one player who doesn't quite work. Like this time, it's Grealish didn't quite work against Liverpool, did it? But obviously, we're always finding a player who doesn't quite work. So, 
take one of those out of the firing line and put Torres as a, as a, as a simple centre forward who can move about a bit and just just try that. Uh, but I say I'm sort of, sort of more powers of me no no better, don't we? But I can't I can't see us bringing anyone in. I mean, I've heard Harry Kane mentioned again today, but uh, I wouldn't believe that in a month for Sundays. But uh, no, give give Torres a fair go, and I think just just play his tactics he's playing now. Uh, Six times, uh, five times out of six, it works. Uh, it's just the big teams where we perhaps need that little bit of clinic clinicality. Is that a word? I'm not too sure. We need to be a bit more clinical against teams like Liverpool. We should have won that. We should have won that game, to be honest. If we didn't, they got away with it. Uh, and obviously, the big games, that's, that's where we may fall down, certainly like the Champions League, especially. So, yes, I would love, I would love a quality striker, but uh, I think, I don't think it'll be January, to be honest with you. Uh, Ray, uh, on your channel, uh, your YouTube channel, uh, do any of your uh, f- uh, f- uh, subscribers have strong opinions on this? On what exactly? Um, on cities need to import. Oh, there's the striker thing. Someone who can put the ball in the in the, in the net. Yeah, sorry, yeah, they, they ask me, you know, most after most games, especially when we either don't take our chances or struggle to create. I, I always say it's not a a creative thing. You know, having a striker doesn't necessarily mean you're going to create more. And the the last stream we did, I, I remember discussing this point again, and and other people have, have now caught on to it. Uh, when I say when you put a, an out and out number nine, an out and out striker there, you don't have as many bodies in midfield or out wide. You have one fewer person, um, and so it's possible that you might create even less. You might have fewer chances. So you might have a, a guy in, in the box and the ball's not coming to him, so he's not getting any enough enough chances during the game. So you you might gain from having a, an out-and-out top goal scorer, goal scorer, but you'll lose a body in, the, in midfield or out wide or that false nine. Um, you know, and, and do you do what was it Ferran Torres said? You know, he's play, he was playing a false nine, but he was playing a nine at the same time. You know, he was just, you need someone who's fluid and maybe that is Kane. But City under Pep, if I'm right, I'm pretty sure I am. I've only ever bought one player in January. Mm-hmm. Any takers? Laporte. Laporte. And the only reason they bought Laporte, they said, we, we don't think it... Basically, they were saying, no one's good enough mentally to come in and hit the ground running. And they bought Laporte because they felt he was. But he, he only played eight league games that season, Laporte, when we got him. Um, so... I mean, I, I tell you what I'll do. I, I, what I, I, this is something I did a stream on this a, a couple of days ago. I I said Mo Salah would love to play for Man City. Mo Salah would love to play for Man City. And here's the thing. If Mo Salah wasn't playing for Liverpool, they wouldn't have got Champions League football this season. They wouldn't have finished top four last season. Um, if Mo Salah wasn't playing for Liverpool, they wouldn't have won the Champions League. Categorically, they wouldn't have won it. They wouldn't have won the Premier League. And Mo Salah is keeping Liverpool challenging. I think at City, if he was here, that would make City win. And Mo Salah knows that. So for Liverpool, he's, it's him that's making them challenge. If he was at City, it would be Mo Salah, I think. That would be the icing on the cake. And the, in the current form he's in, um, I think he, he, he would be winning stuff, uh, plenty of stuff. And, and here's a, a, a naughty little thing that I, I just think we should be doing it. Um, this talk of Liverpool off, you know, Salah going to get something like 300, between 300 and 380 grand a week. We should let it be known quite loudly because his, his contract's up in 
less than two years' time. He finish, finishes in 2023. That we're interested in Salah, and we'd pay him 500 grand a week. Let him be known. Let's see how much interest is. Because the thing is, if he goes back to Liverpool and says, City are offering me 500 grand a week, you've got to match that. That puts pressure on Liverpool to find an extra 120,000 a week. Now, you might say, well, that's only six, six and a half million a year. It's it's not that bad. But it puts pressure on other players. You know, if, if Liverpool had to pay Salah 500 grand a week, you can see Sadio Mane knocking on the door and maybe one or two others. So it causes a bit of discontent with potentially within the camp. Just go out there, City, and say, I heard it on the radio as well. They said City should pay off for 75 million. I think that's I think that's a joke. But if we are in I think more City fans would, would be interested if we if we could get more Salah for hundred uh, for hundred million. And who would you rather have, Salah or Grealish? I think it's a no contest. I just when you're talking, I know this has been a talking point, uh, Ray. I know that's why you're talking about it. Um, but I suspect that uh, the response from the Liverpool board um, might be colourful. Um, I'm thinking, no, but, of- but they're they're moneyball people. They're out to make money. They'll look at Salah and say, if we give him a new four-year contract, it'll be 33. We'll get out from him. What will stop that happening is I don't think Klopp would let it happen, and I don't think the fans the fans would be uh, uh, up in arms. But it, you're not making the offer to make it happen. You're making the offer, and or you might not even make the offer. You do it behind the scenes, or make it let it be known, you know, through a few journalists um, that you're willing to pay Salah five hundred grand a week and just push Liverpool. To, to get close to 500 grand a week to keep more Salah. I, I just think it, it causes some discontent. And that's what you want. I, I look back a few years ago, and people laughed at me at the time. Um, probably five or six years ago, I said... People laughing all the time. <laughs> oh, thanks a lot. Um, I said City should buy Jordan Henderson from Liverpool. Probably uh. five or six. People laughed at me. I said, look, look, he's not going to get into City side. He's not good enough for City. Um, but he was Liverpool's probably their best player and most influential player. And he was going to drive them forward. And it's just like Bayern Munich do. You go you know, around the league, you win the league, and then you buy the best players from the other teams. And that's why I said we should have gone for Henderson. Not played him, but it would have set Liverpool back a year or two. And it's the same with Salah. Just, we're not going to get him. Don't put a bid in. But just let his agent know that City are interested and we'd be willing to pay 500 grand a week wages and just let him go down to Liverpool and just put the cat amongst the pigeons and, you know, we'll see, you know. Come on, if, if City offered more Salah a million pounds a week, do you think he'd want to come to City? I'm not saying it's going to happen, but I'm just saying, you know, cause a bit of a rumpus, cause cause a bit of a ruck, um, you know, get, get into his head. Why not get into his head? Well, uh, classic shithousery from uh, Ray there, guys, but you'd expect nothing. <laughs> Uh, Colin, looking at the league table now, um, we've got Chelsea uh, at the top on 16, Liverpool on 15, and you've got a a quartet of teams, City, United, Everton, Brighton uh, uh, on 14. Um, Who looks the best of them? As if I could not predict your answer, maybe, but... Uh, The the best of the 14 teams on 14? The best of the the top six. Well, you know, it's funny, isn't it? Because if you said to me, um, before those three games, you can have one win, one loss and one draw, I'd have taken exactly what we got. A win at Chelsea, who I thought beforehand were our biggest competitors. So, all right, we're two points behind Chelsea, but we took three points off them. 
at Stamford Bridge, and they've not looked quite as impressive as they have done. Um, but uh, they're still going to be there or thereabouts. Liverpool, we know, are going to be there or thereabouts, barring a disaster. Where I think having gone to now uh, Stamford Bridge and Anfield, we've, we've got four points. I think we're in a great position now. I think if we'd won at um, Anfield, um, I, I, you know, I, I'd have been confident enough to say we're, we're winning the league. Um, I, I'm more confident uh, that we will win the league. I mean, United, United, aren't they? There's a, there's a, you know, there's a patchwork of um, commercially viable players, but the, the manager is clueless. You know, they don't make a team. Uh, whereas Alex Ferguson's genius was making the whole far greater than the sum of the parts, as we saw in 2013 when they won, won the title with with a very average team. Uh, Solskjaer can't even make players like Pogba, Varane, Cavani, Sancho. He can't even make them click. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, uh, Everton, uh, Benitez, we know he's a clever manager. He will get the most out of Everton. He'll have his moments. Graham Potter, perhaps he's overachieved a little bit with Brighton in the top six, but they seem to be coming together a bit. I don't, don't think they're anywhere close to top six come the end of the season. But we know, you know, that, that top four is probably going to be, you know, we can hope that United drop out and say, I'm sure we'll talk about Newcastle in a minute. Um, Everton will be pushing them all the way. But I think Chelsea, Liverpool, City are, are the top three. And I'm much more confident now, having got the results we got at Anfield and Stamford Bridge, that we will be top of the pile come May. Interesting, Bernard, uh, the contrast between the last three games and the next three. Obviously, uh, Chelsea, Paris and, and Liverpool. Our next three are Burnley, Bruges and uh, Brighton. Um, time for a, you know, a, a bit of a breather for a couple of these players, maybe, do you feel? Yeah, I think I think of goals. I mean, well, no, because, you know, it's... Uh, Bruges is going to be the one to sort of muck win, isn't it, all of a sudden, even though, you know, we saw how they performed against PSG in the first game in the group. But uh, of those three, obviously, Burnley should be, you know, they're dreading that, aren't they? Let's be honest about it. So uh, we should be able to give the guys, or one or two of them, a rest. And it won't go mad, uh, some respect to Burnley. But, uh, yeah, that Bruges has become very important as well in those next three games, I think. Uh, and Brighton away, <laughs> you know, but, you know the top, top six clash. I mean, obviously... Brighton are playing some good stuff and they've always lacked a decent striker, haven't they, Brighton? But they seem to be improving a little bit this season. I don't know, I'm not quite sure who they may have added to the mix to, to, to sort of do that, but they were always knocking on the door. But uh, I wouldn't be resting too many uh, players, to be honest with you, Mike, uh, in the next three games. Um, and uh, let's face it, well, the squad we've got, hopefully Gundogan will be back as well, won't he? And uh, he'll be back in the mix. Hopefully Torres will be fine. He's picked up this injury, but it'll be okay. KDB will be firing now. He'll start starting getting more matches behind him. So I'm not, I don't think too many will get a rest because I, I think uh, even though they do seem a little bit easy in the last three, I, I think we we sort of anything less than three wins from those next three, and I think we will be disappointed. We would maybe uh, Ray expect to see a bit of John Stones before too long, though. Mm. Uh, yeah, I mean, as, as if he's not featured at all this season. Look, he's been injured. The port have come in. Uh, and Laporte has done to John Stones what John Stones did to Laporte last season. Uh, John Stones came in when Laporte, I think, was injured or had COVID, and Stones did a good job, and Laporte struggled to get looking for the rest of the season. And that's, you know, the roles have been reversed. 
Uh, although people have been saying Laporte's made a few mistakes uh, in the last few games against against Messi and Salah, but um, I think John Stones will will come back. He has to come back. Uh, he's, he's too, he was too good a player last season not to have featured this season already. I, I thought he'd have played um, in the PSG game to be to be honest. Um, mm. But yeah, I, look, he's a great player to have uh, come back after the international break. I think he'd be buzzing. He'd be ready to play. Uh, I think he'll step up. Yeah, and um, also probably have your favourite player, Ray, seeing a bit more of him, the Algerian prince himself, uh, coming uh, coming back more into it. But guys, let's let's move on uh, now because I don't think that we can finish the pod without um, offering our opinion on uh, on the the big news of the last couple of days, uh, Colin, and that is uh, strange things happening in the north uh, the northeast. Yeah, well, the news broke um, yesterday, didn't they? That the that secret negotiations have been going on um, between the Saudis and the Premier League over the Newcastle takeover, and that the um, any blockers to that had been removed. And, and I did hear, um, I think Luke Edwards from the Telegraph talk about this. Uh, and amazing for a Telegraph journalist, he was very sensible. Um, and what he did say that. Um, the, the Saudis seem to have taken over negotiations directly rather than using intermediaries and, and basically asked the question, what do we need to do to sort this out? And they were told it's the piracy issue, which is blocking things. Uh, and they've ended that. So, um, remind as we've seen, what the piracy issue was, uh, Colin, could you, just, could you just remind people what the piracy issue was? Yes, sorry. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Premier League um, sells the rights to its games around the world globally very lucrative it is too and um qatar's bay and sports bought the middle east rights the problem is when when the saudis and, and the qataris and well the saudis and everyone else fell out with the qataris uh, they blocked bay and sports but set up a pirate operation to take the feed without paying them for it so uh, basically they were they were stealing the premier league's product which uh, they were supposed to be paying for so um, obviously that didn't go down very well with, you know, it, it's like, you know, uh, applying to join a club where you're still, you know, where, where they know you're stealing stuff out the back door. So um, th- that that blockage seems to have been overcome and the takeover has been confirmed. And uh, I, I think um, you, the Newcastle fans are obviously glad to see the back of Mike Ashley. Um, although, in- interestingly, um He's left them in a good state financially, actually, because um, uh, talking about, obviously, from UEFA, from a financial fair play point of view, they don't come under the UEFA rules until they qualify for Europe and they've got to get a license. So, so they've probably got a couple of years before they need to do that. From the Premier League point of view, the Premier League's rules are, are a lot looser. And basically, you're allowed to make a, a loss of 105 million over three years. Now, uh, Ignoring COVID, the, the COVID year when everyone made a loss, virtually everyone made a loss. Newcastle were in quite healthy. I think they were carrying losses of uh, carrying profit in the two years prior to the last one of something like sixty to seventy million pounds. So, so when you uh, uh, when you take infrastructure spending into account, they've probably got they, they could probably spend uh, a few hundred million before getting into trouble with the Premier League's financial fair play because it's not about the actual amount you buy for players. It's about the impact it has on your uh, bottom line, the amortisation um, and the wages having your bottom line. So 
if you're showing a profit of 50 million, for example, you know, um, it's not that you, you can only buy someone for 50 million. You can, you could, in theory, buy 250 million worth of players. And then that's that uh, amortized at 50 million a year. So, so they potentially got, you know, maybe three, 400 million they can spend now um, without infringing financial fair play. So it, it's going to be a very interesting one, isn't it? And of course, all the usual arguments about human rights and uh, have come out. And w- one of the, the sensible things Luke Edwards said, the Telegraph said, was that, you know, uh, why football? Why is football the standout industry, if you like, the standout business that feels that investment from uh, Middle Eastern uh, billionaires is, is somehow dirty and wrong? Because, you know, when you look at it, look at the big picture. Saudi Arabia, the UAE are among our biggest trading partners, uh, government to government. Sa- yeah, the Saudis, UAE own a lot of businesses and properties, which we rely on to provide employment um, in this country uh, and uh, around the world. You know, so, so you know, it's business. It's, it's business. And, and why is football the one business that somehow feels itself above, uh, you know, morally... Uh, you know, um, I think I described it, a moral island in a sea of iniquity. Well, you know, football isn't a moral island in a sea of iniquity. We see it all the time, you know. Um, uh, ben Mendy, Bissoum, we've seen everything. You know, Wayne Rooney, Brian Giggs, uh, you know, footballers. Uh, it's this thing about footballers being role models. No one thinks that a footballer is a role model. That You know, they're young men with a lot of money in their pockets, and they're just as prone to, you know, the vices of uh, the human vices as anyone is, you know, drugs and drink and gambling and um, women, women. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, it's it, it's this daft argument that football is somehow above all that football is, a, you know, uh, is composed of angels who never do anything wrong. Um and of course, the whole you get the whole Miguel Delaney sports washer, Barry Glendening sports washing argument. Well, you know, if you wanted to draw attention to, to the bad points of, of your regime or, or whatever country, uh, buying a Premier League football club is a great way not to do that. You know, it's a great way you know, to, to bring all the attention of the world onto you. So, so how anyone buys this facile argument about sports washing? It's beyond me, but it's a nice word, isn't it? And it plays well in the columns of the Independent, the Guardian. But even the Guardian are, are finding it a little bit tiresome. <laughs> I've got, I've got, to, I've got to say something about Luke Edwards, Colin. Um, and I heard him on the radio yesterday, and he he came out with the usual lines because we were talking about Man City as well. That Man City is, you know, Newcastle are not owned by a country or a state. Yep. So he's come out with that that uh, uh, again, and he, and he did a, an interesting one where he said. The, he was talking about the owners of like PSG and, and City, and and uh, the Newcastle new owners. He said they'll not get their money back. They'll put the, the so they he, they're going down the sports washing line. You know, then they've made an investment. They'll not get their money back. So you know, it's got to be something else. And and I just think no, mate, you're thick. Are you are you it, it's so ignorant of the truth that you're not you can't you you can't be ignorant of the truth and be that a journalist for the Telegraph, surely. So what agenda are you uh, going, you know, what agenda are you driving? Because we all know City 
Uh, I mean, Chip Mansour has spent, let's say, for argument's sake, buying Man City, paying off the debt, investing in the club, about, let's say two billion quid. I think that's a reasonable number. One point, it's less than 1.5. Sorry? It's less than 1.5. Okay, less than 1.5. Okay, let's say 1.5 billion. But Man City, realistically, I mean, he sold some of the shares. He sold some to Ch- uh, uh, China Media Capital, I think it was, CMC. Yeah. You know. Got I thought it was about thirteen percent. Got a big two hundred eighty-six million or something, and sold another ten percent to uh, the Silver Lake Group for five hundred million dollars. So he, he's got back somewhere in the region of let's say seven fifty, seven or no, seven hundred million. Probably, you know? Yeah, probably six hundred fifty to seven hundred million. Yeah, yeah, and that's a quarter of which the is about half that. of what he's put. Which is about half of what he's put in. So he, and, and he he's still out. Yeah. 75, 76% yeah. of a group worth probably three billion. Yeah. And on top of all that, buying a football club opens doors. I mean, they're building the new uh, arena, um, you know, this uh, concert mu- arena uh, next to um, uh, at the Etihad campus, basically. Uh, that's going to hold, was it, 21,000 um, capacity. So they're building that. It's opened the door to that. And look at all the building projects. Uh, you know the housing projects they've got around the city. If they weren't involved with Manchester City, I, I, I dare say most of that wouldn't have happened. So these guys are going to make an an absolute fortune on investments because they're linked with City. And I'm sure the Saudis are going to do the same with Newcastle. You know, buying the club is going to open a lot of doors for them. They look at all the business opportunities in the northeast and they'll take advantage of them. And I'm sure they'll they'll. Do business worth billions um, mm. up up in Newcastle, and that's it. It's not, you know, just a football club. It's not sport. Uh, certainly not sports washing, um, because everybody's talking about them at the moment. It's there. It's hard investment decisions. It's hard nosed businessmen looking to make money out of Premier League football. Well, Bernard, um, as as we draw the pod to a conclusion. It's going to be fascinating to see um, what happens with uh, Newcastle. There are a lot lot of uh, parallels uh, in in certain ways because you wonder how many uh, huge players uh, are going to be interested in uh, living up there, uh, which is what they levelled at us. But uh, one thing seems fairly certain, uh, Bernard, to my point of view, uh, Steve Bruce might as well begin packing his bags right now. Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, obviously, uh, I've not come across a Newcastle fan who's... Uh, there's, there's a few that are OK with him, but uh, obviously they want, they want him gone as well as the guy up top as well, don't they? Let's be honest about it. Uh, and I think he's done an OK job with, with what he's been allowed, what he's been given, but uh, that'll all change, won't it? I mean, will, will they stick with him for a, a few months? Uh, <laughs> I don't know, but... Uh, They've got to line up the right guy, haven't they? So it's all right investing this money, but uh, like us, we didn't quite get it right just perfectly, did we? But obviously, we knew we knew down the line we we're going to get uh, obviously Mancini, our first guy, wasn't it? But uh, yeah, I mean, Bruce, uh, I'm sure he'll get a nice payoff. I, don't, I never feel sorry for managers, but uh, yeah, it'll, uh, they've got to find the right guy, and then they've got to, start, as you said, encouraging people to go up to Newcastle. But it's, it's, it's hard enough to get it's hard enough to get people to go to United, you know, when they were good in the old days. Uh, they still missed out on some big names because they just didn't fancy Manchester. Uh, so really, all don't disrespect to Newcastle. It's going to be slightly harder uh, to get some of the players they want, but they're going to have to spread the money. They're going to have to do the cash a bit like we did at first when we first uh, 
first uh, got the takeover. Of course, we, we encouraged them with with a little bit of cash and a little a little bit of bit of nice, you know, a little, little bit of moolah. So we've got, they're going to have to do a bit of that. Aren't they? So it'll be interesting times. But uh, Newcastle fans seem to think it's all going to happen overnight, and uh, <laughs> yeah. I don't think it will happen overnight, as we well know. I mean, some people are saying it took us four years to win our first title. It might, you know. They're already predicting Newcastle might be the title favourites within a couple of years, but uh, we've got a long way to go. We have, only. but uh, yeah, good luck to him. Good luck to. It's not my favourite club, I'll be honest with you. I've, I've got a lot of a lot of history with back in the seventies and eighties. Had a few problems with, with Newcastle fans, but uh, you know me, I don't hold a grudge. But uh, you know, uh, there's still one. Of, there's still one or two that are a bit a bit bit up themselves. I think we call it, don't we? There's a bit of an arrogance up there that I, I don't quite like. I, I don't know what it is. I don't know why they've got that. But uh, yeah, okay. It's all, all sorry, Ray. Go on. No, sorry, I was going to jump in. I've got no problem with Newcastle challenging and getting yeah. in the top, top four within five yeah. years because that'll just put, put, hopefully push Man United out. Yeah, I mean, it will be interesting to see, as I said, because it's not the most... It's, it's a nice play. I mean, I've been up to Newcastle a couple of times, but from a footballing point of view, they've got to get, they've got to get guys up there, haven't they? That's the thing. And as I say, it's, it's not always the easiest. The bright lights of London and obviously the name of Manchester United uh, have always uh, worked in the past for them, clubs, if you like, but... Uh, yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting. All credit to him, and they say they'll probably have a 80,000, 90,000 new stadium in a, in a few years' time, and we'll be getting it in the neck every week in, week out about all them wonderful Geordie fans. So there you go. But uh, hey, good luck to him. Good luck to him. I mean, it, it did come round, didn't it? Because I think they were still a little bit jealous that uh, they missed out on our takeover, didn't they? They seem yeah. to think it could have been theirs, don't they? I think that was where a lot of Newcastle fans took a bit of a bit of a dislike to us because obviously they thought we got what they should have had but now now they've got it Let, let's see what happens eh? yeah. it sounds like you must have had a, a dodgy brown ale in the past uh, <laughs> uh, for, the, for that year I'd ever had um, drinking Newcastle brown ale so that's the source of my grudge against them a lot of friends worked up there got a lot of Newcastle supporting friends and uh, you know, good luck to them. You know, it, it's good to have competition, isn't it? It is. Yeah. One thing is, a lot of City fans... talking about Steve Sorry. Bruce. I mean, he must be planning Christmas in the Bahamas or somewhere, Bermuda or somewhere. <laughs> somewhere nice need, and warm. need a big pair of shorts, <laughs> Bermuda shorts. Another thing is... I, it's, I, I'm so sure. He had his 999th game as a Premier League manager um, last weekend. And uh, next weekend, I think they're at Spurs, aren't they? Uh, will be his thousandth thousandth game as a Premier League manager uh, and I think it'd be nice to let him have that wouldn't it but the other funny thing is I, I was li- listening to this on the radio they were comparing his win ratio with something like 28% yeah. in those 999 games the only manager with the worst win r- ratio over a thousand games is Brian Robson so all these kind of children of Ferguson who you know all <laughs> supposed to be great managers and they've all picked up the DNA from the great man um, are among the worst managers in Premier League. Mark, Mark, Mark Hughes must be near the bottom somewhere. He's got to be. He's got to be Ryan Giggs. <laughs> Ryan Giggs. Well, guys, give it Giggsy till the end of the season. Well, we'll give it Giggsy. Uh, well, guys, I think that's a, probably a good uh, point. After an hour and a, an, an hour and a half, of, to, to just stop that uh, for now. Um, certain people need their beds um, at this particular point. So well, we'll leave it there. It's going to be fascinating um, uh, the the rest of this season for uh, what uh, transpires. Obviously, guys, 
Uh, we've got uh, still a bit of the international break uh, to come, and uh, we'll be back with you when we get back into the action against the three Bs of Burnley, Bruges and uh, Brighton. Um, but we'll stop here for now and uh, say uh, farewell uh, for now to our three great contributors. Thank you, Bernard, for uh, for staying up with us. No problem, mate. Welcome. It's always uh, great to have a chat about our wonderful club, isn't it? I think, uh, uh, what more could we ask? What, what is worth staying up for? Let's be honest about it. <laughs> uh, final thoughts, Colin? Uh, yeah, well, um, uh, final thought. Yeah, um, uh, I'd just like to say goodbye. It's been a great pleasure, but I should be joining <laughs> True Geordie on, on uh, his podcast. Uh, <laughs> oh, good I, I was a Chelsea fan before, Chelsea fan before <laughs> our money came along. So, I, you know, I'm just going to follow the money. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, final thoughts from you, Ray. Uh, yeah, no, no blue pills needed to keep me up uh, at this hour, lads. Uh, I've got. I've just got, got to say, uh, answer to the trivia question earlier. Uh, KDB has not scored a Premier League header. He's got no wonder or whatever, or whatever <laughs> number. Of I'm sorry, there was one final thought. We had a pre- score prediction before, at the last pod of the Liverpool game, and I seem to remember one of the panelists whose name escaped me correctly predicted the right score. Um, has he got any? To narrow it down, Colin, has he got any hair on his head? Well, that doesn't narrow it down a lot. It, it eliminates Mike, doesn't it? Well, <laughs> Mike's eliminated already because we know his his knowledge of getting sort of predictions but I, right. I've never, I've never got a prediction right in my life, so it can't be me. <laughs> I think it's the guy who writes for the fanzine. Uh, yes, uh, judging by the smug look on his face. <laughs> <laughs> work it out but uh, guys you've been listening to uh, Bernard and Colin Savage and uh, Ray and myself we hope you enjoyed it um, you've probably listened to all the other podcasts um, on this particular topic but uh, here's our contribution so um, we'll leave it there for now and finish off in the normal way and invite you to have one on us and up the blues guys up the blues alright that'll do nicely guys alright well yes, guys. All get right. to bed Bernard yeah. yeah, I'm going. I'm in three hours. I'll catch you later. Yeah. yeah. All right, guys. Take Bye, guys. Bye. Take care.